If you're trying to tell your story to the world, MailChimp can help for free. And I can vouch for this. I've used MailChimp for many years before this podcast even existed. Okay, they've got gorgeous pre-designed email templates. You can also code your own, and that is not intimidating at all. It's easy. I've done it. If I can do it, you can do it. They'll show you how to send, when to send, why people open an email or click delete. Also, they help you find people, help you grow your business. It can MailChimp, it, it helps you tell your story effectively and find the people who care about it. More at MailChimp.com. I feel really confident right now. Oh, right. That's because I'm wearing Mack Weldon. I'm wearing my Mack Weldon underwear, which I got to tell you, a great holiday gift. If somebody gave me Mack Weldon underwear for the holidays, I'd be like, that's cool. Step up my underwear game. Mack Weldon, smart design, premium fabric, simple shopping. It's the most comfortable underwear I've ever worn. They also have socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, silver underwear. They eliminate odors and they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, keep them. They'll still refund you. No questions asked. That is good service. Not only do they look good, they perform well too. I work out in them, go on dates. My wife recently told me Mack Weldon is a flattering cut for me. Greatest moment of my life. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code BEAUTIFUL. Hello to all the other uncool, redundant people in this world like me. It's time to check the answering machine once again. This is Beautiful Anonymous. One phone call, one hour, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi, I just got married last month. My husband and I are both circus performers, and he tours the country with a very well-known circus company. I managed to visit him a lot, and the city he's in this week, I knew my father would be here. And I haven't talked to him in about 20 years, but I knew he would be on a particular street, sitting on a particular bench, singing and playing guitar for change uh, with a dog that he dresses up. I knew he'd be there because he's been doing this for decades. So my uh, husband and I show up, and there he was. He he dumpster dives for his food and for his clothes, and, you know, he smelled really bad. But uh, I was incognito, and I pointed him out to my husband, and my husband went over and just pretended to be a tourist and had a conversation with him. And uh, from the outside, I'm sure it looked like he was just a guy giving a homeless man a few bucks. But from the inside, it was a father-in-law meeting his son-in-law for the first time without even knowing it. Thanks so much. Bye. Hi, my story is that I am a young, uh, well, no, I'm 35. I don't know if that is young, uh, but I'm a 35-year-old black woman who grew up in uh, Appalachia, and my experience there has really informed um, how I see a lot of the world today, and I think it's interesting to grow up somewhere as a black person that's uh, not really talked about that experience of being someone who grows up in the country is not explored too much, and I um, often refer to myself as Afrolation, African Appalachian, uh, so yeah, that's something I would talk about. Perhaps I could um, just talk about the experience of moving back to the area I grew up after having lived in other parts of the country that were not at all um, rural or um, predominantly white, like where I grew up. Take care. Hello, everybody out there in the world. It's Chris Gethard. It's another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Thanks for tuning in. Very happy to 
touch base with you. Going to tell you guys now, this is the last episode of 2016. We're taking the last two weeks off because guess what? Holidays, people with their families, New Year's, people are partying, man. People, people aren't downloading the podcast as much. And I just want to thank everybody for our first year here at Beautiful Anonymous. It was really... Uh, it's really so cool to participate in this, and I look forward to doing many more and talking to all you guys. I hope every single person out there who wants to talk, I hope we all get to talk someday. I really genuinely mean that, and I hope, I hope, I hope people listen back. I feel cool, you know, because I know I didn't know what this was going to become, and you guys are you guys are calling open, honest, telling me so many things that I didn't anticipate. And I think what we have is this really cool thing where many years from now, people can listen back to this batch of episodes we put out and say. That's what people were thinking and saying and feeling in 2016. It's like a time capsule of what actual real people were thinking. And and roughly one-third of the time, the comedian in charge actually manages to make it funny as well when it's not super dark or sad. So thank you guys sincerely. What a good year. What a good year and what a cool thing that you guys have built. And, and I feel honored that I get to be the bridge. Also want to just point out a couple things. A lot of people noticed the In Your Dreams podcast went out on the feed Last week, it is going out this week as well. I hope you like it. A lot of people saying, like, I don't know if you need this guy Gary involved. He seems like a real narcissist, man. What's this guy Gary all about? And I just want everybody to remember, I am a comedian. Beautiful Anonymous definitely has a little bit more of a serious tone, and it, and it went in that direction very organically, and I'm very proud of that. But keep in mind, this this was brainstormed by a couple comedians, and if you listen to all our episodes, I think you're going to see that the mysteries of Gary Richardson really tell themselves over time, and, and particularly episodes six, seven, and eight of In Your Dreams. Stick with this podcast because, man, does it get crazy, and I'm very proud of it, and I hope you like it as well. Some other things I want to uh, mention. I, I had talked last week about how I, I would love to find like a place for, for beautiful fan, anonymous fans to interact, and, and some fans on Facebook, I, I kind of put some word out there. Does anybody want to help organize a thing? And, and a lot of people responded, and ultimately about 10 people said, I would love to build it. And they're building. They're, they're, they're looking into how to build a community on Facebook. So keep your eyes peeled because it, it might be up already. People are trying to start this discussion group and really give everybody who likes this show a place to talk about the episodes, discuss, say what they like, didn't like, talk about each other, shared experience, similar experiences because a lot of it just comes with people tweeting at me. And guess what? I'm a busy guy, man. I can't answer everybody's tweets. Can't be that way. So keep your eyes peeled for it. Last week's episode, Escape from a Cult, universally agreed upon, very intense. Got a lot of positive feedback from people saying, whoa, a lot of people tweeting at me links about the the organization known as the 2 by 2s and a lot of the links that I was being sent. Wow. I think this caller may have really spoken quite publicly about a thing that has remained underground and is viewed by many people as dangerous. So kudos to the caller. Big ups to the person who tweeted at me. That caller seems like a liar. This all seems like made up BS. I'm unsubscribe. To which I said, oh, okay, what do you say? I don't know what to say to that. And then they tweeted back the next day and said, I think I may have just been in a bad mood and maybe I overreacted a bit. So I like that that is my relationship with the listeners to this podcast. All right, enough of the past. Let's think about the next hour of our lives. We have a great call coming up. It's the second one we've ever fielded from the voicemail box. If you want to leave a voicemail pitching a story, 802-392-3288. What I have found is that I love the random calls, the excitement surrounding them. That is the heart of the show. But the voicemail box, one of the really nice things is sometimes there's stories that shouldn't be random, that, that you hear them and you go, that, I want to I wanna really reach out on that because that's a story that I would be bummed if I didn't get to hear. This caller grew up African-American in the heart of Appalachia, now lives in a city, grew up maybe defending her, her, her background in a culture that was small town that, that, that didn't understand. Now she's in a city, has to defend her small town values that she grew up with in that world. Really straddled a number of different worlds, 
has a lot of opinions, has, has a lot of, so many implications right now with everything that's happening in this country that I, I needed to make sure I, I, I jumped on this call and provided a platform because what, what an interesting background and an interesting present and an interesting future that we'll all figure out together. So caller, thanks for sharing so much about what it was like growing up, where you did, who you did, and what life is like now. It was such an interesting conversation, and I think all of you out there are going to enjoy it, and I look forward to seeing what you have to say about it. Thanks for listening to Beautiful Anonymous. Let's check out this call. Hello? Hi, this is Chris Gethard. Hi, Chris. This is this is me. How are you? Well done. You caught yourself there. I did catch myself. I was nearly about to reveal... Or I was going to break my anonymity, but I didn't do it. So. That's good. That would have been a quick call. <laughs> it would have been maybe maybe a record a record for for the show. Yeah, yeah. We had one other. We had one other where the person I forget his name. He's like, I'm Doug, and I was like, Well, you're done, Doug. It's goodbye, Doug. Uh, goodbye, Doug. Done, done, Doug forever. Yeah, but that's okay. You you nailed it. You caught it. You're good. Cool. Yeah. So well, you called while I was. Um, I was playing uh, with my Snapchat. So, yeah, you saved me from overindulging in too many Snapchat selfies. So I, th- I want to thank you. No, please. I'll tell you, I got the Snapchat, and I uh, I don't get it. it. makes me feel old. It, it definitely made me feel old. I actually have two younger siblings. I have three younger siblings. Oh, but helps. I have, uh, yeah, so they're they're significantly younger than me, and... Uh, they use Snapchat and I sometimes get into things that I think younger kids or younger folks tend to like because I have them in my life. So I want to, you know, I want to be able to talk to them and, you know, act like I know what's going on because I'm yeah. 10 years older than they are. Yeah. So I, I can a, tell them, you know, Hey, I have a Snapchat. I know what I'm doing. It's cool. I got a cousin. I got a cousin who just graduated high school. And uh, I, I always would ask her, I'd be like, what do I got to do to make high school kids think I'm cool? Because as a comedian, you know, you want, you want people to think I'm cool. She was like, Snapchat. Sure. She's like, Snapchat. That's where yeah. it's at. She also was very willing to That's... let me know. People aren't going to think you're very cool. Yeah, I don't think, I, I, I don't listen to your show because I think you're cool. And I, I I'm, <laughs> you know, I don't think a lot of people. <laughs> I, 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 I would guess <laughs> You know, wow. no shade to you. My, I just, you know, I think two the, minutes in, it's the two authenticity that we that we we crave the authenticity. You know, and that's not always very cool. So you like the authenticity, but you don't get the sense that the rest <laughs> of my life I'm a much of a man about town. You're not really getting that. Uh, yeah, who wants to be cool? I mean, is is cool even a thing that to aspire to in 2016? Isn't that kind of a thing? Yeah, you know, it's no, like I a think, 90s thing. That's our generation. I've been no cool kids. That's been my policy for years now. No cool kids. I don't like the cool yeah. kids. Yeah. So how's your day going, Chris? So far, so good. Um, you know, my day, I'm doing a show right now in New York, so my days generally start late. So this is kind of like the ball's getting rolling with this. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I, I work nights now. I work nights now, yeah. I actually have an opposite situation where I I wake up at 4.30 to go to my job. I get ready around that time. And uh, I usually am in bed by 10. Wow. But I had, yeah, yeah, I usually am in bed by 10 o'clock. I'm an old lady. I'm 35 and in bed by 10. I don't drink, so I'm not missing out on any parties. But I uh, I, I broke that last night. I um I was, I was, I was helping out a sibling. I was trying to help out 
you know, family member. And I ended up go not getting in bed until midnight. And you know, a little, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm actually winding down. This is like I'm trying to relax. Okay, well, I'm happy <laughs> I've been to, help. to work. I've done that. Happy yeah, to what's help. that? I said I'm happy to help yeah, with the unwinding. Yeah. So I listened to your message. Thanks. I found I, just portions of it. I was played the the relevant portions that I was allowed to hear, and I, I thought it was really fascinating. And it was fascinating. You cool. left. I think you left your message like five or six weeks ago, and it was fascinating yeah. then. And it feels like now, now your situation in the area of the country you're talking about is even more. It's even more fascinating right. the past few weeks. So I'd love. I was really intrigued. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about. Cool. Uh, of your perspective. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I called in and I, I, I basically w- was interested in talking about where I grew up and yeah. you know how that sort of has played out over the last couple of years and, you know, throughout my life. So I grew up in a part of the country, uh, that is very rural, um, without, I can actually reveal that it's Appalachia and, uh, Appalachia actually spans quite a, a bit of the, um, you know, the mid-Atlantic eastern region, and folks don't realize that. I think they uh, initially, I think Appalachia gets, you know, you think it's West Virginia or Virginia, but it, it spans a, a pretty good distance. So I grew up in that area, and, um, you know, I am a black woman growing up in Appalachia. That was a, 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 a really traumatic experience. It was pretty, really? um, yeah, it was a difficult experience. I mean, it was difficult for all the reasons that, it can, you know, childhood can be difficult and, you know, bullying and all that. But I think, um, I think for, you know, I actually looked up, uh, the current data on the population. I think in 2000, it was, uh, the area was 91% white. So growing up, and I think that's not, I mean, that's necessarily, that's not necessarily uncommon for suburbs, but in a rural, um, Appalachian area, it was overtly obvious, you know, that there was, you know, intense uh, racism. And, you know, I think the se- my senior year of high school, there was a, a rally on this, you know, our courthouse is just like this tiny little rinky-dink courthouse. And there was a KKK rally. And I, I think it was, yeah, you know, that was like, I grew up fishing. I grew up, you know, riding dirt bikes. I grew up like, I grew up in the country and it was in lots of ways, wonderful and then you know in all of these other um these other ways it was it was traumatic like i said so uh so yeah so recently i moved back to the area i, I left and did all the things that people in their 20s do and you know uh lived in more um populated parts of the country i lived in a couple of cities that are you know very diverse and uh and it was great. You know, I'm glad that I did that. I did not think I would ever move back to this part of the country. And, and even now I'm not necessarily in the, the country proper, but I'm in, I'm certainly in the Appalachian region again. And, and I came back about six years ago because my, um, my then boyfriend lived in the area and I wanted to be closer to him. Um, so, so I moved back and, and, and it felt really odd you know, it's take, it took me about six years to, to create a community here. I mean, it's still very segregated. It's in lots of ways. I think most cities actually have become more and more segregated from what I'm experiencing from continuing to travel. But, uh, you know, coming back, it really kind of forced me to address where I came from. I think a lot of folks who, 
um, are coming from these small towns or, you know, in my case, being a black person who came from a predominantly white area, you leave and you kind of like don't look back, you know? Um, and I did that for many years. I didn't really talk about where I came from or if I did, people didn't really know where it was. And, you know, most people in cities are kind of from somewhere else and it doesn't really matter. We're all from small towns. Right. So, uh, now being back here and, and really thinking about what that means, it's, um, it's been, it's become a huge part of what I, uh, what I think about and what I talk about and, you know, who I have, how I identify, I think, uh, there needs to be more conversations around, you know, rural black life because it is, it's isolated and it's, uh, alienating. Um, but it shapes you in this way that's very specific and it creates, um, a really important dynamic to, I think sometimes the glossed over homogeny of black identity. So, so yeah, that's the rundown. Are you still there, Chris? I am. I am still here. I'm absorbing okay. a lot. I'm absorbing a lot. Okay. Just trying to listen, soak it all in, taking some notes. So yeah. So that's uh, that's that's the that's the stuff what I called in with. Yeah, I heard a bunch of that. I heard a bunch of that in the message, and uh, I uh, I get here. Okay, a lot. Let's okay. Let's start in the beginning. What uh, what led your family to this region? Were there other were, were there other black families or, or, or like in school? Sure. Were you in classes yeah. with other black kids? Were you, did you feel on your own? How, how, yeah. How did, how did things start? Yeah. So my, um, my grandparents are, well, I'm not, so I'm actually biracial. I identify as black. I don't know the white part of my family. I mean, I didn't growing up. Um, my grandfather on that side of the family is from Italy was very racist, did not want to acknowledge me as part of their family. So, uh, they, um, so I didn't ever have really any relationship with my father or that side of the family. And, uh, so my grandparents, my mother's parents were part, were from, um, a rural part of that area and they just sort of, uh, moved to, you know, a less rural part. And in, in Appalachia, I feel like people, folks end up kind of moving from small town to small town in accordance to where the industry is. And that's sort of what brought my grandparents. My grandfather was a part of the steel industry. And in this region, that's pretty big. Um, and my grandfather worked um, in lots of different jobs. When I was growing up, she was um, essentially, you know, a ma- a, not a maid, but she was a, a cleaning woman for this white woman a wealthy white woman growing and, uh, and yeah, so I, um, I ended up moving around a lot of the kid. Um, my mother is, uh, is an alcoholic and is, was fairly unstable when I was growing up. And so we would move, um, every couple of years. And so that was interesting because I was in different parts of this, of this small area. And so I would go from, a school that had no black students and I would, it would be me and my brother and we would be literally the only black students in the entire elementary school. Um, and that, and then we would move to another elementary school. And, uh, well, there was one other elementary school where most of the black students went and that, and so that kind of spoke to the segregation of the town and, and so that was maybe for a couple of years, we, well, not even a couple of years, it was like a year we went to that school. Um, 
and then the, we, there was a, a, a year we moved to a, an area that was so so rural that you know we that we lived in a trailer. It was in the middle of the woods. There were cows across the street. There were nothing but dirt roads, and you know that was that was pretty brutal. That was pretty difficult because you know uh, it was it was there were there were slurs being hurled. Not not at me. My brother actually got it a little worse than I did, and um, but I we both definitely both were pretty uncomfortable that year. Um, so we moved back to we moved back to sort of from this more rural area, and in high school and junior high, uh, there were there were probably about I'd say a dozen other black students. Um, and moving back, I've been in touch with a couple of them, and. You know they're doing well, and you know it's, we kind of all have our own experiences with what it was like because there certainly were um, there was rather a small community of color there of people who black families who knew each other, and um, you know it wasn't so isolating. But again, my mom's uh, you know she's an alcoholic, she's kind of a weirdo. She um, you know is has it can be pretty alienating to people. And so we didn't necessarily have a community of folks that we plugged into or uh, knew. And I think moving around a lot kind of prevented that from happening also. So uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was my, my childhood sort of, I guess that's as far as being able to access community in that area, that was my experience of, of accessing community. It wasn't really um, something I experienced. I know that there were uh, de- definitely like friends of mine later who I was able to connect with, like I said, who had very different experiences and who were um, sort of more part of this small black community in the town. And, and we just didn't grow up with that same access. Yeah, that's, I mean, you got, so, you got, you got, you got, you got, they really doubled down because it's hard, it's hard to move around a lot as a kid. And it's hard, yeah, to, it's, yeah. and it's hard to be the only minority as a kid and they you you got you got double you got the double package on that multiple times huh just getting dropped into new situations and having to deal with it again and again and be an outsider because of the region that you live in that's that's a uh that's rough it was i mean i have a great therapist so Mm -hmm. so i'm Mm -hmm. thankful for that (laughs) i do too Uh, i do too shout out to barb i know she's listening shout out to barb (laughs) Hi, Barb. Thank you. Thank you, Barb, for helping Chris. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. So it's really, that's really a lot. I also got to say, just out of curiosity, I, uh, you know, not to bring up painful stuff, but you brought it up. What, what is it? What is it? What is it like to, uh, to have a Klan rally happen in your town? What, what, like that's, be, you know, that's the type of thing you hear well, about. It's the type of thing you hear yeah, about, and, and you, it's unbelievable to me. It's just unbelievable to me. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, you're not it, growing. I mean, we, it was, uh, you know, who I, who I am and who I've become was, uh, you know, then I was, I was, I got really into punk at a young age. I think that was, um, really easy for me to feel, uh, comfortable in because I was an angry kid and I didn't feel like I really, belonged and you know i had um a community of people with punk and yeah and so one of the one of the things that i i to this day i'm really grateful for is that i began questioning things at a young age and i began sort of getting into politics and activism at a young age you know i was um 
much more interested in the activist aspect of punks than anything else. I wanted to learn about, you know, sexism and systemic racism. And I wanted, you know, and I really kind of dove head first into that. So by the time thing, like by the time this, this rally had happened, you know, it was, I was 18 years old and I'd been, you know, reading, you know, about the Black Panthers and I'd been reading about Angela Davis and um, kind of educating myself on this like radical perspective. And I think, you know, it was at that point, I, um, I recognized it for what it was, you know, these are, um, these are people who, whose existence is, 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 doesn't, ultimately it was not going to impact me if I went down there, you know, there were folks who went and confronted the clans members and, um, you know, there was a group of people who, you know, that was, they were, they were there to protest the presence of these people in our town. And, um, and at the time, I can't really remember why I, I didn't go. I didn't go to protest. I didn't um, confront them. I uh, I stayed away from it. And I, I really don't. I mean, at that point, I was probably on my way out of town. I was probably done with that yeah. town. Were you I surprised? Think that was my overall like, attitude. Did it shock you, or was it kind of uh, like? Ah, I think that's... it was. It was like one of those. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where everybody was very. You know, the whole school was kind of an uproar about it. It was like a. You know, whoa! This is. You know, this is. It was. I don't think it was like a. I mean, the area was rural indeed, but there, you know, there was, uh, I think that, that 90 in the nineties, I think folks were definitely trying to be, um, in a way there was like a try, not really progressive, but I don't think people were trying to be overtly racist in a way that was like in your face. But, so this was not something that we, you know, there weren't, um, clan meetings that people knew about. Maybe there were, but I didn't know about them and people that I was, you know, going to school with didn't know about them. So yeah, people were, uh, upset, but there wasn't, it didn't seem like, and like it was, again, like I, I, it was so long ago and I feel like most folks were just kind of like, this is nonsense, but this is kind of like scary. You know, I think a lot of people were scared. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, as far as like the overall environment, I mean, I don't think, was it surprising? No, I mean, it wasn't surprising. I mean, it was like, a it was where you were, you know, like I said, I think as an 18 year old young woman, all I can tell you a lot of folks, I think you grew up in small towns. And in my case in particular, I just was like, when can I get out of here? Like, when is this, like, when is this place going to be a yeah. memory? Cause this is, this is, this is not <laughs> this place. This place doesn't want me here and I don't want to be here. Yeah. You know? And did you get the sense these, these Klansmen, did they come from outside or were these like, were these like people who lived in your area who like you're, you're in the same supermarket um, aisle as that, them or. I, I, I mean, that's the thing is like, I don't, I wasn't, uh, I never, saw them. I never went to the, the courthouse, so I didn't actually know who who and who showed up. Um, do I get the sense that they were people that I may have been in the grocery store with? I mean, then I think, no, I wouldn't have thought that. But I think now, as a 35-year-old woman, sure, I would believe that was the case, you know. Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it's just the environment of where I grew up was very... Um, unwelcoming for folks who were not from that area or people who were from that area who weren't white. I mean, it wasn't, like I said, people weren't spitting at you, but, uh, it was, there was, there was a lot of, there was definitely tension, you know? And yeah. I mean, even with this election, you know, obviously I'm going to bring that up because there are, it's the people who voted, I feel like, or a lot of the folks who I grew up with certainly voted for this man, you know? And I, 
and you know, I had that policy that I think a lot of folks followed towards the you know the wind down of election, which was you know I don't want to fight on Facebook or social media. I don't want to have a debate about who you're voting for. I don't want to see hate. You know, I kind of just didn't want to know what people were um, trying to defend and what kind of awfulness they were trying to defend. So I would just block people or unfriend them. I didn't want to know. You know, I just felt yeah. like it was too much. Yeah. And there were there were a few people who. I kept in my, in my social media circle because they weren't volatile, but I knew they were conservative and they were from where I grew up. They they were kids I went to high school with. Um, this one kid I'm actually so intrigued by because he and I had a very tense relationship in high school. He used to bully me and my friends. And I like, one time I was kind of like, I would just stick, stick up for my friends and I like spit gum in his hair and he had like long, you know, Kurt Cobain hair. And I remember like, he had to get his hair cut because I, I stick gum in hell it. Yeah. And, hell yeah. And That's we, the 90s. That's right, the 90s. Yeah. High school in the 90s, 90s Kurt Cobain girl, hair. Yeah. 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 She and I are the same age, and I love describing kids in high school in that era as having Kurt Cobain hair. Very, very accurate to my experience growing up. Right now, let's go ahead and let's hear from some of the sponsors that help me bring phone calls like this to you. This time of year, everybody's traveling, but there's no way. There's no way to carry all the magazines you need for a long trip. They don't fit in a carry-on bag. You don't want to mess up your back. Now, you can get all the magazines you want with Texture, the new app that gives you unlimited access to 200-plus magazines. Some of my favorite magazines are involved, okay? Entertainment Weekly, who guess what? Guess what? If you didn't see it, they named this podcast one of the 10 best podcasts 2016. Entertainment Weekly, Sports Illustrated, Forbes, Fast Company, Rolling Stone, all kinds of great stuff on there. Okay, magazines that are more than something you want to flip through in the checkout line at the grocery store. You want to be informed, entertained, keep up to date on stuff, okay? News, social issues, entertainment, whatever you need, comic relief, you can find it on Texture. Texture has gone beyond delivering just the magazine itself. They've made it easy to find and enjoy the articles you want to read with daily recommendations, exclusive interactive features, videos, more. Texture searchable too. You mark what you like, check out back issues, bonus video content. They curate things for you. It's great. Whoever you're giving Texture to this year can really make good use of all those features. Why on earth would you subscribe to just a couple magazines when you can have all of the best ones on your smartphone or tablet all the time for way less. Right now, Texture is offering my listeners a 14-day free trial when you go to texture.com slash beautiful. That's 14 days to try Texture for free when you go to texture.com slash beautiful. Texture.com slash beautiful. Are you looking to kick things up a notch in the bedroom? Have you been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here is an offer you will not be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off. That's 50% off just about any item when you type in the offer code STORIES at checkout. And that's not all. When you purchase an item for 50% off, you'll also receive three adult DVDs completely free just for a little, little inspiration in the bedroom. I know we got a lot of, we got a lot of people listening to this who are homebodies and... uh. Family people, that guy from that episode, Four Kids Zero Sex, maybe he can, uh, maybe he can take us up on this deal. Plus, guess what? You get an additional free gift that's so sensual, can't even mention it on the show. And to top it all off, you'll receive free shipping on your entire order. Does not get much better than that. So head over to adamandeve.com today and use the code STORIES at checkout for this special offer of one half-priced item as well as three 
adult DVDs, a mystery gift, and shipping completely free. That's adamandeve.com. Offer code STORIES, S-T-O-R-I-E-S. Enjoy it. Have fun out there, kids. I got to tell you, all those services and those products, to me, they sound like really useful, usable things that you should have in your life. And also what you should have in your life is this phone call. So let's get back to it. It's Beautiful Anonymous. Hell yeah. That's the 90s. That's the 90s. High school in the 90s, 90s Kurt Cobain. Yeah. 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 And and I um, I remember just thinking like, you know, we're so different, this kid, you know. And our worldviews are so different. And uh, he, like, you know, friended me on Facebook. And I was like, sure, why not? Like, see what I do. I'll see what you do. And I think that's a general curiosity when things like that happen. Um, and like I said, I, I know he's conservative. And so when I when it happened, like, I, I, when, when, the, when the election day came, he was rallying folks to, to change America, to really change America for finally. And it was, I was just like, these are the people I went to high school with. These are the people who are voting for this guy. They never left that town. They never left that area. They don't know. Like, yeah, they have. They legitimately think that the world's a scary place and that they have to fortify themselves against any outsiders. And that's kind of the mentality, I think, of where I'm from. You know, it's now that I have to say, you know, I'm yeah. super fascinated. I'm super fascinated that you said that. And I don't want to yeah. go past it because you said a few things there that I really agree with, which is because it's so level-headed. And I think that's such a cool eye-opening thing. And it's a, it's an opportunity I want to jump on because the first thing you said when you're like, I don't want to fucking deal with Facebook. I don't – because I have the same thing where I'm like, I haven't posted a thing about the election. I'm like – and I have this platform. I, I, I have my comedy and, and I have this podcast and I have my show and stuff. And I'm like, what do I say about this? But it's like I also don't want to just preach to – the people who follow me on Facebook all think the same shit I do. Like I don't – I don't want to be, and, right. and I, I didn't grow up in Appalachia, but I also, my next door neighbor was a fireman, the guy around the block, my friend Frankie's dad, he worked for the town recreation department, there's a plumber across the street, like, I grew up working class, working class people, and here's, here's, the, here's an interesting thing, and I don't want to put too much pressure on you, but it sounds like you kind of think about some of this stuff the same way I do, it's like, they divided and conquered people like us in a way, like, like, what am I trying to say? Like, I had a great com- Go for it. Yeah, go for it. Well, I think I had a great conversation today um, with a, a fellow who I, 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 I encounter kind of um, at my job every once in a while. And, and he, um, he's an older black man. And he and I will get into these like long-winded discussions about what's going on or just sometimes more casual. But today was he he made some really great points and, and, and kind of in that, I mean, you know, if you, I don't know if you're going to go in this direction, but you know, one of the things we were talking about was the construct of, of whiteness, you know, and, and it, it being construct and, and, and then like we talked about capitalism and how ultimately, you know, and, and I'm kind of like, just give, I'm just generalizing it right now, but um, you know, in these, in, you know, I'm sure being working class and, you know, for, for me being like, you know, dirt poor. I mean, there are times we didn't even have heat in my house. And, you know, I, I feel like, uh, it's very clear what things like race were created for and why whiteness is being pushed again to the forefront of like the national conversation where people feel like it's a lot, like they have to defend, like, this is all they have. You know, these folks I grew up with, 
I, I had I had a conversation with this kid last night who I grew up with on and I again another person on Facebook who I, I I'm friends with just you know happen chance and he has a fucking sheep farm he has a sheep farm and he's uh, he's a man who you know is in the country with his wife and his two kids and he's a Christian and he um, posted a video of I guess allegedly there was a guy in Chicago who was um, pulled out of his car and assaulted by. Uh, a group of black men and it was because he said he was a Trump voter. And I did, you know, what I always, what I think any hopefully rational smart person does who, who's not trying to, pers- to participate in divisiveness. Um, I Googled it and I was like, well, is this real? Is this something that, cause I also know that there's all this fake news going around and it's not real. I mean, it, it really happened, but it wasn't because the man said he was a Trump voter and, and it's not any better that they, there was like a, it was an altercation because of, you know, road rage. And that's not like something I, I'm like, Hey, road rage. Yeah, you're not like, yeah, you're not like, yeah, big, like, I, big thumbs up, just random yeah, like, undirected rage that uh, fell upon love people. love that. No, like I, I felt like that's just as horrible. But I also, you know, I, I commented because people were commenting and I said, this is, this isn't, this isn't the real reason that this happened. And I said, you really have to be careful with what you are posting, there is so much anti-blackness. There is so much divisiveness. There is so much fake news that is circulating. And if you aren't checking, then you are going to believe this and you're going to be afraid. And he and I had, a, you know, like it, it's the thing that my friend Rebecca always says. She says, you know, people who consider themselves to be good people can still be like really racist. And, and you know, that's the thing. This guy is like a humble dude living in the country, living in, in an area that I know very well. And he's so afraid and he's very afraid of certain people yeah. and those people don't look like him, you know? Yeah. It's Yeah. Because I don't want to, so put, my husband, yeah, go ahead. I, was go just ahead. Say, I don't want to put pressure on you or pressure on this conversation. But what I really like about the stuff you're saying now is that this, this podcast does have some reach, it goes out, gets out in the world. And, there's there's real potential that 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 there are are ma- like like you are someone who 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 demographically it, it's so nice to hear you just talking about that and saying it and I'm I'm so glad that I get to that, that I get to, to 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 be a part of that because when people hear like oh so a a black female who's into the arts via punk rock and also like at some at, you know earlier in this conversation said I've thought about whiteness as a construct like you are someone who people might say, close-minded people um, might might say like, oh, well, you know, you hear all this stuff, Black Lives Matter is is blah, 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 this and that. And it's like people just want to put each other in these groups. And it's like, no, you're a human, right. you're a human being. You grew up, you grew up amongst people who are scared and who, who did swing things a certain way because of fear. And it's, I just think it's really fucking cool for you to say like, no, I get it. Like I, I get it. I get that my friend who owns a sheep farm is scared and he needs, and and I get it. I get it. I get that this person is scared and it's not about, I think it's very easy for those of us on the coasts to go, oh man, like those, uh, those yokels got hoodwinked. And I think it's very easy for some people in the more central areas of the country to go, oh, those, those elitists move money around and do what the bankers say. And it's like none of, I don't think any, I think we're all being tricked. I think we're all being fed 
some real well, broad generalizations. Yeah, and I think, I, you know, one of my favorite episodes that, that one of my absolute favorite episodes and like kept me listening. Cause after a while I was like, Oh my God, your collar is getting redundant. But I, I felt like <laughs> one of my favorite episodes, you know, I gotta be a little shady. I just got to a little shade in there just so you know, I like it. I'm, I'm so not, happy you're doing this. I'm not cool. Not cool. Collar's redundant. But, the the woman who was a Trump supporter, best call you've had. Thank best you. Best call you've had, hands down. I I feel like that woman is is my mom in lots of ways. My mom's a black woman, but my mom has gone through domestic violence. She's gone through controlling relationships. She loves toxic relationships, and I feel like as someone who is, um, you know, has been the victim of abuse and who has been uh, in situations that were unhealthy. It's interesting to me that we crave those abusers again. And then very much, I feel like Trump manifests that in his behaviors. He very clearly is um, abusive. You know, his, his, his very, he, he makes statements all the time that are abusive to other people and, and dictative and all of that. But I feel like it was really interesting. This person who had come from that experience was gravitating to somebody like that. And it was something that I, I, I understood. And I feel like a lot of people are in this sort of abusive relationship with their lives, with themselves. And this man's appealing for that reason. And, and it's, ugh, that's a whole, it's like, it's, it's, thank you for saying that. That's cool that you said that. Um, you are like, you are one of among, like, you know, my podcast lineup is so many white guys, two dope Queens, the read, and then like beautiful anonymous. Those wow. are, that's my lineup. All right. <laughs> so, Flattered. I, 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 I appreciate the show. I, uh, yeah, there it's, um, my husband's actually is, is white and that wasn't something that I thought would happen. There was a point in my life when I made it very clear to myself, <laughs> made a promise to myself that I would never be in a relationship with a white man. And, um, for a long time I was, uh, you know, I date, I date, I date women because I am queer identified and, um, I, you know, don't, I made an effort not to date white people, um, because I didn't want to explain because I didn't want to have to have conversations that may be difficult. And my husband and I have been married for a year. We've been together, um, for nine years, um, and, and there are, there have been some, some of the most difficult conversations that happened in this, in, in this last week or two weeks. I mean, we had a conversation last week and, and I broke down because it, it was, um, it's been difficult. It's been more difficult for my husband post-election than it has been for me in lots of ways. Um, and I think that's because I grew up in a place where I knew what it felt like to be unwanted and in many ways in my life, I still feel like you encounter microaggressions as a person of color, you, um, encounter, you know, situations that are, um, uncomfortable and oppressive and make you feel crazy and make you frustrated because you are being determined to be this thing that maybe you aren't, or you are being constructed that way. And anyway, I think my husband had a hard time, you know, he had a panic attack the night of the, um, election. Um, and I've never, he's, he's never had a panic attack. So that was, upsetting and and his way of sort of processing it has been that he he hasn't really listened to a lot of news he has he doesn't have a facebook so that's not an issue but he um he's he was shocked and you know i actually um we went out to go see a movie i don't know if you've heard of the movie moonlight just um, saw it's, it. it's a, 
it's beautiful, right? It's amazing. Suck this week, yeah. The pe- some people in that movie yeah. act, act their asses off in that movie. Holy it's shit. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, the acting's amazing. Janelle Monet is gorgeous. Yeah, the film, the people, like, it's just one of my favorite films ever. And so we went to a small theater in, um, in a neighborhood that we go to get dinner quite often or see films. And it was uh, after the film let out. And it was a night that like a lot of black people had decided they wanted to go. Like a lot of people that I knew were like, let's, you know, let's show up, let's be proud. Let's, you know, go to the film. And uh, we were on our way out and it was a small lobby. I saw two folks that I knew and I went over and said hello to them. And again, it was a small theater. So the, the film that was beside us was still playing. And when I went and started talking to these two women that I knew, uh, this older white man came out and he, he shushed me. He went, shh, you know? And I just kind of looked at him and being like punk at heart and not giving a fuck. He went back in and I just kind of laughed, you know, I laughed and I went back to talking to these girls and he came out and he grabbed me. He grabbed both my arms and started shaking me. Whoa. And this was two days after the election. Um, and my husband grabbed the man and threw him across the room. And the guy kind of was like, you know, my husband's screaming, like, that's my wife. What are you doing? And the guy just runs back into the theater, like nothing had happened. And it was, um, it, it was, it was, it was a lot of things. It was this moment where I just left this really beautiful black film. I was around people that were um, a part of a community that I, you know, kind of had inserted myself in here in Pittsburgh as far as black creatives. And it was uh, also this moment where I realized that I might not be safe. Like my existence might be something that is going to be less safe, more less safe than it's been, which sometimes I feel like that's already a part of my existence. And so now you have people who feel more empowered to do what the the fuck they want. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a, it was an eye opening experience. It was upsetting. I, I'm really grateful to some of the folks who were there. The, the usher, I feel like, was he was a young guy, and he was he kept apologizing. You know, he was just like, "I'm so sorry. I don't know what you know." And and I and I and I don't even fucking you know I don't call the cops, but I had them call the cops, and you know the cops were actually really nice to us. And it was it was crazy. It was just like a moment where I was like, "Where am I? Like, what country do I live in? What? How much of this is influenced? How much of this man's behavior is influenced by?" him feeling like he can, you know, this is a group of free black women being loud and he can do whatever he wants. He, I don't think he realized my husband was with us. Um, and thank God he was, I don't know what we would have done if he was, wasn't there. I don't, I know I would have been upset and I would have defended myself. But I don't know what that would have looked like, what my safety would have looked like. So did they grab the guy? So yeah, did they go in and grab that guy? No, they waited for them. I mean, they, they waited for the movie to be done and he came out and, uh, you know, they, they previously had taken my statement and they, they just waited around and the movie was over because they said the movie's almost over so we'll just wait. And when he came out, he, they like gave him a chance to explain himself. And he said that he doesn't, he didn't know what came over him and he was really sorry. And the cop asked me if I wanted to like, let him apologize to me. And we were like, no. And the cop said, well, because you're not, cause he kept the, the guy was the guy of the cop was like, are you hurt? And he'd asked me several times. And I said, no, I'm not hurt. And he said, well, if you're not hurt, the only thing we can do is cite him for harassment. And if, and if he pleads guilty, you'll never, you know, they won't send you anything in the mail, but if he pleads not guilty, they'll send you, you know, something in the mail, you have to come down 
and issue a statement. So, you know, in my heart, I want to believe that they, you know, because after that we just left and they were still talking to him. And I want to believe they did say like, you know, here's your citation, but they could have let him go. And it could have just been like, whatever, no big deal, which is frustrating. But I, um, yeah, that was, that was, that was one of those moments where I was like, what, the, what is, you know, what's going on? But at the same time, you know, I um, spent the entire next day making art that was, you know, all about blackness and it was ice silk screen and it was wonderful. And I, um, I'm throwing a party that's, it's called black joy. And, um, and that's my center. And that's like what I want to, you know, that's what I focus on. So like who fucking knows what this guy's deal was, who fucking knows if he was a racist asshole, who knows if he was crazy, all these things. I just am like, uh, in a position where I can't, um, align myself with thinking about the folks who are trying to actively oppress me because there's, I, I won't win in that, in that, that battle. I will lose. I will go crazy and I will be the one who's suffering. So I, um, I spent a lot of my time not focusing on that, but not, not in a way that's like, whatever dude, but in a way that's like, there are people who I can connect with and communities that I connect with and folks who are working really hard to do things that are empowering and powerful and healing. I think I just rambled for a while, Chris. Are you still there? I am. No, I liked it. Cause it's, that's a perspective. That's a perspective that I think people don't get is like, I do again, just because I, I, I think, I think I am a guy who's not lived your experience, but I, 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 I I would like to think that I am a, a supportive and empathetic person. I think I think maybe for you know a lot of a lot of Middle Americans, a lot of uh, listen to this podcast, and I think there's somebody who said for outside of any movements or hashtags or anything like that, if you are a group of black ladies and a white guy gets aggressive and grabs you, you have to immediately wonder: Is this because I'm female? Is this because I'm black? Why is this guy feeling like this? Right. Okay. If a cop shows up at this stage in America, I think it's totally fair for you to go. I'm just gonna walk away because I don't even know if the cops are going to handle this and I just got to get away from this. Like, I think that that's a very down to earth perspective that we, you'd certainly don't get on Facebook. You don't hear a human being saying it's fucking scary to have a belligerent guy grab you. And, and of course it, it, it's got to enter my head. Why does he think this is okay? What is it about him? What is it about me? And here's a question. Can I ask right. you a question? I'm going to ask you a question. And the answer might honestly be like, I don't know. Or it might even be like, fuck it. Like nothing, nothing. I don't have positive things to say, but you're a, you're a, a a queer, black, punk rock artist. You grew up and and here, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that I've been thinking about so hard, is that it used to be that those people and union workers voted Democrat, but they split us. They split us. I'm a Democrat. I can say us. People get mad at that. Who cares? I'm a Democrat. Everybody knows that. But I get. Here's the thing. I get it. I get that someone whose family has worked in a coal mine for generations doesn't see how their problems are shared in any way with people who really want to fight for non-gendered bathrooms. Like, I get it. I get that they look at it and go, I don't see what that has to do with me anymore. I get it. But as someone who did grow up, being who you are, right in the epicenter of the type of people I'm describing, do you see, like, do you see where that separation happens? Do you see any part of you that's like, here's where... Here's where we actually do have a lot of common problems. Do you know what I mean? Despite the fact that I'm a little marble-mouthed, I think that was a pretty good question. 
why don't you sort out what that question was in your head and, and we'll get that answer, which I'm excited about when we come back from hearing from our sponsors. Guys, very, very psyched to say that uh, Matt Besser, my a mentor of mine and a friend, the Improv for Humans podcast holiday special, it's out now. So go listen. In last year's Improv for Humans Christmas Carol, the ghost of Christmas future taught host Matt Besser to be a little kinder to his fellow humans. Well, this year, Matt's bringing you an improv take on the real unknown Charlie Brown Christmas story. If you have not listened to Improv for Humans, it is a great show. I have appeared on it many times. It's so fun. Matt Besser, he, he co-founded the UCB Theater where I came up, learned improv, cut my teeth. He, he's always been a a guy who I've really looked up to. I, I used to tech his one-man show about 15 years ago, and I'm, I'm psyched I get to do Improv for Humans from time to time. And in this holiday episode, it's, it's always hilarious. So if you like improv, you like comedy, you're going to love it, go listen in iTunes, Stitcher, or at Earwolf.com. Thanks so much to everybody who advertises on this podcast. And now let's get back to this very gripping call. But as someone who did grow up being who you are, right in the epicenter of the type of people I'm describing, do you see like do you see where that separation happens? Do you see any part of you that's like here's where here's where we actually do have a lot of common problems? Do you know what I mean? Growing up I think Yeah, go. go. I think one of the one of the things I like about this show is that when you ask these sort of these like um broad broad questions and that kind of gives people the opportunity to think, you know, from um, a place that, I mean, a, a place that's more immediate. Like, I don't want to spend too much time thinking about that question. Um, and so what immediately came to mind, because now I don't know, like, I'm not a historian. I don't know when that happened. I don't know, you know, if there is a, a, a moment historically that we can look at, you know, obviously Emancipation Proclamation happened and there's been, um, pushback and tension since then when you think about things um, like the fact that around the time, you know, you have black folks getting the vote and then um, you you have women trying to get the vote and they were pitted against each other in lots of ways, you know, and, and so not, not coming at it from like necessarily an exacting historical perspective, but from more of a personal perspective, which is again, why I value this show. I can say that my in-laws are Trump supporters. I'm married to a man who, whose parents are Trump supporters. And, 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 and they are people who I adore and who I love. And that is really hard for me. Um, I'm going to cry. I wasn't anticipating crying. Hold on. Um, you can cry. It's okay if you want to cry. I'm not going to, I got to, I just got to pause. <laughs> so I, um, you know, they have in many ways become my parents. I, I don't have a, a relationship with my mother. I don't have a relationship with my father. I don't actually know my father. I mean, we've never had a relationship, but, um, you know, when my husband and I eloped last year, his parents, um, you know, they threw us a party and, and my family came and his family was there. And so we didn't want to have a wedding. We wanted to elope. We, so, you know, we just had a, a nice, cookout kind of thing at his parents' house. And my, you know, all these black faces are there and it's all of his white family and, and it's chill as fuck, dude. It's so chill. It's, 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 it goes off without a hitch. These are all, you know, like at the end of the day, what they have in common is they're all working country folks. They are going to go home tomorrow. They're going to go to their job. 
they're going to, you know, come home and relax and watch football. My uncle and Chris's dad, I'll talk about football. They do the things that working class dudes do and working class people do. And it wasn't an issue, you know what I'm saying? But when I go to visit his, my in-laws and we go have dinner or they come down here because they come down here pretty often, we don't live in the same city. We don't live in the same area. It's in a more rural area. We live in a city and when we go visit or, you know, we, we, before the election, I would say, well, who are you guys voting for? And my, my father-in-law was like, well, I'd like Trump, you know, and he owns his own business. He owns a small landscaping business. He's not wealthy by any means. They're so proud of the fact they're going to take, they're going to, their mortgage we've paid off this year. That is, that is a big deal for them. And I'm so happy for them, but he doesn't have any, like, you know, there's no fucking indoor pool or any, there's no luxuries. They are working class and they are middle-class Barely, you know, and in hearing him say, I'm going to vote for Trump, I have to listen to him as someone that I love and not as someone that I'm on the Internet with arguing with, you know, yeah. so I have to ask, like, you know, like, dad, like, why are you, you know, you know, this man, like, doesn't like people like me. You know, he's made statements against people like me and my family who you've entertained in your in your home who are now part of your your our family, you know. And he doesn't have an answer. You know, they don't, this, this is, this is all from the gut. This is all from a place that I don't think they, that we are comfortable talking about yet. We're not comfortable talking about, and, and I, I, I'm comfortable talking about it. I'm, I don't, you know, I, I, I said to him, I said, what this is, he said, white people are afraid. Their identity, the identity of America is shifting. White people will be in the minority soon. They will not be the majority, not, not my, yeah, they will not be the majority. And, and that's, that's causing an identity crisis. And you have, you have somebody who is, who is capitalizing on that fear. And I, and I, and I want you to know that, you know, and he, he listens, like he's not an irrational man, but his mom, on the other hand, my, my mother-in-law, she, now she, she, I love her. I adore her, but she's a loud mouth though. And we, we won't get into it, but she's also, she's also staunchly Catholic and, and Donald Trump went on record saying that he is, is, is pro-life. And so, you know, that to her is everything. She is a single, you know, a single issue voter. And that's all, that's all that she cares about. And, and that's, that's difficult. It's insane to me. It doesn't make any sense. And I've thought of every way that I could possibly show my objection to people that I love and people who I'm going to spend Christmas with, you know, and, I can't think of a way that to do that. I think what we're going to do, my husband, I was getting stressed out about Christmas and my husband said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to donate money to all these charities that we love and we're going to do it in their name. And that's going to be their Christmas present. And that's going to be <laughs> in my mind. Oh, you know, like here, here, mom, here's, here's your donation to glad. Thank you. You know, cause she, she's not down with trans people. She, she listens to Catholic radio all day and all Catholic radio that shit's just like, it's indoctrinating people. It's not even religion. Most of the time it's politics and they're talking about shit that is hateful, you know, and I, and I can't, I can't, I, I, I can't have that conversation because she just shuts down and I, there's no, it's not, a, it's not a conversation. She has her beliefs and I have mine and we love each other in, in the midst of that, you know, it's, it's, it's not Facebook. It's, I can't block her. You know, I can't unfollow her. I mean, we both are on Facebook. So she knows my, I mean, I'm sure she sees some of the shit that I post, but we are family and it's hard. It's really hard. 
these are conversations that more people should be having. And, and even it's, I guess, even more difficult to realize that those conversations, I don't know if there is space for them to happen because they see me every day or not every day. They see me often enough to know how I feel. I see them often enough to see, to know how they feel, but it's not, my existence is not going to change their perspective. And that's painful to know, you know, they sit at home and they watch the news and the news makes them afraid and, and, and Catholic radio makes them afraid. And I, you know, that's what they're listening to. That's, that's, that's what is dictating their reality, you know? So, so yeah, I don't know when it started and I don't know how to fix it. And it's sad because I don't think it's going to get fixed in my lifetime. I think that we have a, an identity crisis as humans happening. And I'm not trying to say, like, it's a human problem, man. It's not a re- I'm, I'm saying that in the sense that I think that we are, this is not just America, that we're having an identity crisis and we're having these, these, these fascist and authoritarian um, powers gain momentum. This is across the world, you know, and... And and I think people are really questioning what it means to have what their humanity means. And I don't think that we know we don't we I think that we don't know that answer yet, you know? And I think I don't know if it'll happen in a hundred years. I don't know if the world will be over by then, you know. I, I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime. I have I, I it doesn't make me hopeless. It makes me more invested in the person that I am. It makes me more invested in the love that I have with my husband. It makes me uh, feel more grounded in the community that I build here and around the country because I feel like uh, if I'm going to be a, if I'm going to be alive at a time when my identity is being questioned or there is pressure to conform to a certain way of being that is not in line with who I am, then I'm going to be that person even more because fuck that like I fuck all of that. Like, I'm not going to just, you know, go home for Christmas and pretend that this is not upsetting or talk to my in-laws in ways that make them feel comfortable. Because if I just let them be comfortable, if I don't talk to them about what's upsetting me, then they can believe that what they hear every day is the only truth. And that I think is a problem because they need something. They need some way of understanding and and they're not opposed to conversations. And I think most people need to have those conversations, you know, like get off fucking Facebook, (laughs) just talk to your neighbor. You know, my neighbor is a fucking ex Catholic priest. He's gay. We go over to dinner at least once a month with him and talk about politics and talk about what it was like to get thrown out of the Catholic church for being a gay preacher in a church that is notorious for having child molesters (laughs) and, and having that stigma, you know, and he, he, he is like 70 years old, and I've never met someone who has such a level-headed view of corruption, of politics, of, of humanity's ability to be really despicable. And, and, and he's, he, he, he is one of the most alive people that I've met. And, you know, that's like an old white dude over there, and it's like me and my husband, and we're very, you know, much younger than he is. And we have wonderful dinners and conversations all the time. And that's like, I feel really lucky for that, you know? Yeah. 
You just went. You just went. Gun, you just went guns blazing. That was uh... a. <laughs> I, I did get on. The, I'm going to take this soapbox and just bash it away for a little bit. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean you. Uh, you kicked down the door on that one. Tell me how you. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, that was a, a good leading question. I I didn't anticipate having such a strong reaction. No, well, I'm 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 glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it because it is like a. It's it's a it, 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 it's such an odd thing, and and such a hard thing, being such an outsider growing up. I say this as someone who felt like an outsider and had a relatively easy path of it, whereas you had some real challenges that I didn't. But I I do think that the um, the opinion that comes along with being someone who grew up who you are, where you did, when you did, is just a rare one. It's a rare one to hear one on one. So I'm 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 psyched. I'm psyched to hear you say it all. Cool. I'm glad. I'm glad I got a chance to talk to you, Chris. Yeah. I yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think the reason, like I said, you are a unique voice. The show is a unique voice is because it gives opportunities to people to just hear each other's humanity and to acknowledge that humanity. You know, I, um, I keep hearing people talk about, you know, like, again, back on to social media, but social media is part of the problem and we're all guilty of it. So someone had posted, um, a li- I have a friend who's gathering a list of businesses in the area to petition um, businesses that um, donated to uh, the Trump campaign. And, and this, this, you know, this metalhead chick that I I'm friends with online, she, you know, had a lot of folks who were like, you know, this is a witch hunt and this is ridiculous. And, and I, and I, and I was just like, you know, folks have been utilizing uh boycotts as a means of protesting their lack of freedom forever, you know? And it's like, if we can't protest what infringes upon our freedom, then what, you know, what are we capable of? And also like, where's your humanity? If you may not agree with a boycott, but to deny its legitimacy, to deny that you can't, you don't have the right to do it, to call it a witch hunt to, instead of saying that, or instead of acknowledging that people are objecting to what they perceive as an like an infringement upon their freedom is is it it's upsetting to me because I feel like we have lost sight of each other's humanity in lots of ways on all yeah, sides so. and many you know many folks are unwilling not to see that and like I said I don't think it's going to get any better in my lifetime I don't know what's going to happen but I don't think that it seems like the the gap and the divide is just getting larger and larger and folks are, you know, more eager to point fingers than they've ever been, you know? Yeah. It's stressful times, but I do think, I think I got to imagine like hearing just people hearing. I hope, I hope there's some people, I really hope, I really hope I have some listeners who are the type of people sitting around going black lives matter is a terrorist organization. I hope I have people like, like that listening because hearing you tell that story of like a few days after the election, white dude grabs me, shakes me, runs away. Cops have to come, and now I have to sit and wonder how much of this is because the president-elect riled him up, made him feel like that was appropriate. Right. It's like that's just human. That's just people forget about everything. Like Black Lives, Black Lives Matter isn't a terrorist organization. It's people who are scared, 
and from my end, from the liberal end, from our end, you and I, I think, are much more on the same team in a big way. Like people who, people who who are on farms and 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 have have are are traditionally have families that come from failing industries. They're just scared. Everybody's scared. Everybody's scared. And Facebook, yeah. Facebook just exists to make us more fucking scared. And uh, I believe I believe that one hundred percent. You yeah. know, like I. My, my, my in-laws don't look at themselves as racist. And that's another thing, you know, my husband always says the, um, the worst thing you can call a white person in America is a racist because, you know, instead of it, he's like, you know, nobody wants to examine the, what, what the construct of whiteness is. Nobody wants to talk about this like systemic racism. Um, and so that conversation is pushed away, but you know, if you call somebody a racist, it's like, Oh, like this is the, you know, and it's like, if you are making the lives of folks who don't look like you more difficult because of that, then you might be contributing to some systemic racism. And I feel like that's a conversation that needs to happen. I feel like it's, it sounds so stupid, but I feel like when you like people are like so afraid of the word racist, then it's like, okay, so if you don't want to be called a racist, then let's talk about a system. Let's talk about a system that's in place that maybe you benefit from or maybe has caused folks like my family to not own property or to get pushed into um, suburbs and out of the city. You know, I have a sister who was living in projects in this area that I live in now in the city and all those projects got torn down because they're building homes for wealthy people who are, you know, the whole gentrification argument, which I'm whatever, but like people are getting pushed out and there's like a, you know, that's, that's a, that's a systemic problem, you know. There's that goes back for a long time, and I I don't know. I mean, it's scary because I feel yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's an it's a it's a difficult thing. And here's a you question know, I think difficult conversations. I got a question. I think you have. You a, I got a question. I think you'll have an opinion on how how does okay. it, how does a dopey white guy like me help? Because I, and I ask this because mm-hmm. I'm not trying to cause any trouble bringing this up. If people figure out where this is from, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. I was not mad, but I did a podcast recently and there were a few other comedians on it. So I was asked a question. I went to answer the first question. I was asked, and, and, and someone who cut me off who did not fit these demographics, like halfway into my first question, answer, I'm like a sentence or two in, and the person goes, well, you're a straight white male, so honestly, your opinion. And I was like, well, well how do I... I didn't even get to answer questions. So how do I, mean, how do I get the thing to, is like, you know, how do I get funny podcast? Like the title of that podcast, so many white guys is so perfect because there are so many white male voices. Right. And so I believe that one of the things I can appreciate about my husband is that he rarely makes it about him. Yeah. If he is listening to somebody and I, if he's listening to me or if he's not me, cause I'm his wife and we have a whole other dynamic, but if he's listening to somebody or he's watching some injustice that's happened to somebody who doesn't look like him, who isn't a white straight guy, it is not about him. And that's something that we've had to learn together. I've de- we've definitely had moments where I've been like, you're a fucking white narcissist. But I also believe those moments, like I said, when we have these conversations where we're both like, what the fuck? What, why did I just say, or why are you feeling like this? Or where did that come from? I, I think it's a moment for us both to reflect on what my, what, what's helpful for folks like me or what's, what's helpful for folks like him. And like, he, 
it's, I think it's just not centering yourself. It's not about you. Just like, it's, like I had a girl that I worked with and she was like, man, I saw this dude and she's a white girl with dreads or she had dreads. She cut them and that's whatever. But like she, she saw this Rasta family and it's a, it was a brother and his two young, young girls. And she likes, she's like, I told him that his daughter's hair was so beautiful. And like, he just looked at me. He didn't even say thank you. And I was like, why does he have to say shit to you? Like, why did you think it was even important to say anything? <laughs> and she was like, because I just want him, I just think it's black that like, you know, people don't realize how beautiful black hair is. And I was like, what makes you think that he doesn't know that? What makes you think those little girls don't know that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's this like idea that it's about you. And it's like, like after Donald Trump got elected, I had so many people reach out to me and be like, I want you to, oh shit. Don't, we'll bleep your name. We'll bleep your name. We'll mark the time code. Look, you started up. You started up dodging it, and then with a minute to go, fifty nine minutes in. Just right, guys. Too comfortable. I feel like we're hanging out. I feel like like we've been like talking for way That's longer than hours. That's, That's where I get them. Yeah, I will say this. I, I grew up in a very yeah, I grew up ahead. I grew up in a neighborhood very diverse very lucky about that and uh, grew up with a, a, a lot of African American kids one of my roommates in college is an African American and I'll never forget him telling me I wish white people would not offer up their fucking opinions on my hair he made that very clear that it's Yo, a it's like a trend 100%. it's a trend white people love to talk about <laughs> black people's hair. It makes you more, it's like nobody wants, nobody cares what you think. Like yeah. I, I had a friend, one of the best tips I ever had. I've never been to a white stylist. I've never been to one. And, but I remember it, this is kind of shitty, but it's kind of funny. This girl I worked with ages ago, she was like, you know, you know how, you know, it's this sister. She was like, you know how, you know, it's time to get your hair redid. And I was like, how? She's like, too many white people start complimenting you. And I was like, that is so funny and so shady, but so true. Why? Why are yeah. you like, I don't need you to like validate what my hair is doing. I don't need you to validate that I have beautiful skin. It's creepy. It's fetishizing. Anyway. Now we're about to wrap yeah, up. I want to so, ask you one more quick question, just selfishly, because I'm a year older than ahead. you. I also like punk rock in the nineties. What are, what are some of the bands? What are some of the bands you like growing up? Um, I was always a big, I was, I mean, I was a riot girl. So like, you know, bikini kill, I was really into, um, Oz rotten. I mean, there was, it was like a very specific area. I had a really great relationship with Luna chicks. Um, I was not really into Black Flag or Circle Jerks or any of those guys. Uh, I was definitely more into uh, the, the riot, the riot girl scene. So, yes, yeah, a lot of that. Uh, Heaven's the Betsy, Sweeter Kitty, all that stuff. Nice. So, yeah, uh, I like a lot of pop punk where white boys complain about how girls don't like them. Yeah, that's that's just whack. I'm sorry, Chris. I can't. I can't get my my husband. And I make fun of that almost all the time. But it's like. If there was ever a theme music for, like, the man's rights groups, it's pop punk. I want to thank that caller for telling us about her unique life and, and her, her, her unique experiences. And I really do hope, in the same way that a lot of people who heard our call months ago from a Trump supporter who said, you know what, I'm actually going to sit and listen because it's a... Uh, it's a, it's a human being telling us what's up. I, I do hope, I, I know there's a lot of people who maybe have knee, knee-jerk reactions to uh, some of the communities and some, some of the places this caller comes from, and I hope similarly. Listen, enjoy, remember, human beings are out there experiencing life, rolling with the punches, telling us all about it, and you have to respect that and love that, and I thank that caller for, uh, for filling us in. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to the Reverend John Delore, to Greta Cohn, to Jared O'Connell, to Shell Shag. 
I bet our caller likes Shellshack. You want more about me? ChrisGeth.com. You want more about my show? That's up and running. Career Suicide, produced by Judd Apatow. CareerSuicideShow.com. You like Beautiful Anonymous? Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again so much, and we'll see you next week on Beautiful Anonymous. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, a relentlessly manic band teacher tells us all about what it's like to be in high school these days and even corrects my grammar. These kids give I each other hand really... these kids give each other hand jobs back behind the timpanis or what? God damn you. Did you say timpanis? I said timpanis. Yeah, waist high. But okay. these kids giving hand jobs. You know on those bus okay, trips. You so know on the bus trips kids are getting hand jobs. I have to tell you something. I have to correct your grammar because I have to. So timpanis is not actually the plural version. Timpani is the ver- is the plural version. The actual, if you're talking about one of them, it's called timpano. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I stood up and I walked away from the night because that was the most. <laughs> That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous. Hello, I'm Chris Gethard, and here with me is dream analysis expert... Gary Richardson. And we are here to give you a taste of a brand new podcast called In Your Dreams, presented exclusively by the fine folks at Casper. We listen to the wildest, weirdest dreams submitted to us by you, our listeners. And we do our best to figure out just what those dreams could possibly mean. I look over the side of my bunk bed, and there are Huey Lewis in the news. You're saying this person might have interests in style and fashion specifically. You can tell that from that voicemail. 99% certainty. Plus, we'll be joined by some very special guests. The word brutality comes to mind. Mortality? Blood. Bloodtality. Subscribe to In Your Dreams right now on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Good night. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.